This is Southern Queries. I'm India Bastien. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. Together we explore being a part of the LGBTQ community in the South. A quick note on terminology. On this show, we let guests identify in the best way they're comfortable with. Some of the terms or topics might be different, new, or uncomfortable to you. That discomfort is part of what we're exploring together. We encourage you to listen with an open heart and continue these discussions with your larger community. We encourage any meaningful and polite feedback. Thanks, and welcome to Southern Queries. How's it going today? I am doing great. How are you today? Good. I'm very excited to hear about um, who you want to bring on the show today. Tell me more. Yes, I am excited to talk to Amani Bryant. They are actually a college senior at an HBCU, and that's a historically black college, college or university. And I wanted to talk to them about what it's like being an LGBTQ student at a black college. Ooh, this one's going to be good. I think so. I hear a lot of interviews from queer students at mainly big public universities that are predominantly white, but I imagine the experience must be different when you look at the intersectionality between race and gender identity, sexual orientation. I'm excited. And Imani is originally from the South, right? Yes, Imani is from the South. They're from Atlanta. Okay. And they go to Howard University in Washington, D.C., which is still technically the South. And Washington, D.C. has a lot of Southern roots. So it's still very much a Southern conversation. <gasps> Ooh, I'm excited. Let's get to it. All right. Let's, let's meet Imani. On today's show, we have Imani K. Bryant. Imani is a senior political science major and sociology minor at Howard University. They are passionate about Black liberation and their praxis is rooted in this belief. Originally from the Atlanta metro area, she learned from a young age the power of Black organizing. They plan to use their lifelong research on liberation theology in the Black community. They hope their research will contribute to the rich history of the Black academic tradition, and their life goals include writing many books about Black organizing while teaching at an illustrious HBCU. So welcome, Imani. We're glad to have you here. Ooh, that was some introduction. No, right? <laughs> and I'm rough. loving letting the guests, because you wrote your introduction for us. Yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because it lets Thank you focus you. on what you think is important about your story. Yeah, I actually um, wrote it as like a quick bio for my job. I'm a consultant for a racial equity uh, firm in Atlanta. And I was like, who am I? Like, what do I like to do? What do I, who am I, basically? And I wrote it back in, oh, gosh, January, maybe. Um, and this, it was, I thought it was appropriate for this because I, I really like that. It's, I find that the things that I do really do describe me and, uh, a professor of mine told me that research is me-search. Um, and so the research that I do is like very much rooted in who I am as a person. That's amazing. So I wanted to start off with one, how are you doing? And two, how are you handling social distancing and COVID right now? Um, well, right now I'm actually like doing pretty amazing. Uh, just uh, last month I moved into an apartment in D.C. Um, with one of my best friends from college. Um, they are going to law school at Georgetown in the fall. Um, actually, I think next week they start classes. And we just got a dog. Uh, he's been here for about a week now. So um, he's finally adjusted. And I'm just, now I'm doing okay. I'm doing much better than I was like than a few weeks ago, just having to go home. I lived on campus previously and having to just go home without any assurance of when I would be back, when I would see my friends again, when I would see my girlfriend again, was just very um, distressing. And like many of my peers, like I have anxiety, I have depression. So 
it's very it was like a very strange four months for me especially like I celebrated my 21st birthday at my house you know so it was very strange to just like be home for such a long period of time I hadn't been back home with my parents and sister for that long and honestly since I moved to college um four years ago now well I guess it's three years ago um so it was just a very strange experience like working from home, being at home with my mom, my sister, my dad, um, like very rarely seeing other members of my family that live in Atlanta because we're such a close family. Um, we, we're, we're together literally all the time. Like any excuse we can, we can make up to get together and barbecue and drink and play spades and just talk. We we do it because that's just kind of family we are. And so it was really hard to not have my friends in the community I built at Howard and then come home and the community that had been supporting me my whole life, I couldn't even see them. So it was just very, it was very hard for the first couple of months. Um, around May, we just kind of decided that we were going to be each other's bubble. And so we started seeing each other again. But it was still, it was still kind of strange because I wasn't able to see like my childhood best friend. Um, who I had become friends with back in the first grade. So it was just, it was a very odd time. But now that I'm here in DC and I have a dog and I've kind of been able to set up my space in a way that's uh, much more productive to my mental well being, um, I'm doing a lot better. Um, that's actually the first time someone has asked me like how I'm doing, like in such an in depth way in a very long time. So thank you for that. Well, Welcome. Of course, of course. Right. I mean, we care about our guests' well-being, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> we're all trying to manage this as best we can. Oh, oh, oh. I almost feel like people have been afraid to ask how people are doing um, because everyone's been in such like turmoil and upset. So I also, I'm a big proponent on leaning in on things that could be awkward or difficult because if we don't talk about it, then we can't work through them, right? Um, so Imani, I'd love for us, if you can tell us how you identify and why is that identity important to you? Yeah. So this, my identity has really been in flux for the last like year now because, um, like previously and still today, I am a non-binary asexual person, but like that romantic aspect was very up in the air for me. Um, I hadn't like been on a date in five years. And then last September, um, I met my girlfriend and we went on our first date. Our one year anniversary is actually coming up. So um, <laughs> like, I love her so much and I've just been thinking about my romantic identity. And for now, like identify as a non-binary um, asexual lesbian, but you know, that's in flux and I'm okay with that. I've learned to be okay with that, but I am a big fan of labels. Um, I know not a lot of people are, but I'm a big fan of labels because, you know, you get to, you get to have that experience of not being the only one. You don't feel like a unicorn in a world of horses. Um, you get to know that there are other people out there like you. There are other people who are non-binary. There are people who are asexual. And so you don't feel like your human experience is wholly unique and you're alone. Um, it also helps you build community. So I find that like labels are like really great for community yeah. um, and for like just camaraderie too. Um, you get to talk about your experiences in a way that you wouldn't necessarily be able to if you didn't have other people around you who identify with them. Oh, oh, oh. I love that. I feel like a lot of people I talk to are sometimes very adverse to labels, but I have found that announcing labels brings community and I find other like-minded people. Um, yeah, I, you, the way you said that was so beautiful. I like want to write it down. Um, well, I did. I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> if you ever see, if you see me over here, I'm just writing down the notes for the episode, for the blog. Uh, oh, and you know, you mentioned labels. What does non-binary mean to you? When you say you identify um, as non-binary, what is that? Well, for me, it's this rejection of uh, white dominant culture norms and gender as a like societal concept. Um, 
I find that every aspect of myself is political. And so part of my non-binary identity is political as well. It is this rejection of whiteness in a way that really allows me to kind of be free as a person. Um, it allows me to like choose the clothes that I want to wear instead of just like out of the women's section. It allows me to, you know, cut my hair however I want and wear my hair however I want and just kind of exist in a way that I don't think I would be able to if I continue to identify with like traditional womanhood. Um, and then it's all, like as a personal thing, like it's just this feeling of not being tethered to femininity or masculinity. It's just like, I'm me and I'm going to exist and do what I want. You know, every article of clothing I'm wearing right now is men's clothing, but you know, tomorrow I might put on a dress and that's fine. Um, you know, I love wearing my long, my long braids and twists. I actually just took out some purple twists the other day. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, I might dye my hair soon. I don't know. I just, I just like to, you know, find the way to exist as me fully without having to be tethered to this idea that never really made sense to me anyway. Um, I've always been the kind of person that didn't really care about gender appearance. Like, I didn't really want to wear a dress. I didn't want to wear a skirt. Um, like, before I even knew about the label non-binary, I, I once told my mom when we were back to school shopping, I want to find clothes that make people question whether I'm a boy or a girl. And like, that just kind of, that just kind of like is the, that's the generally the way I feel. Like what I wear makes me feel good. And it also makes me feel like I'm me in a way that doesn't necessarily feel the same way when I say like woman or man, like it, I'm untethered. And that's kind of the way I like it. Wow, that sounds so liberating and powerful. You're so powerful. <laughs> this? Give me some of that. That's awesome. <laughs> so um, for some of our listeners, I don't know if everyone knows what asexual is. Can you tell us what that means to you? Yeah, so um, asexual is just essentially um, a sexuality that means without sexual attraction, like the a means without and so for me it's just like I don't feel sexual attraction to anyone ever um which can make some people feel like very apprehensive um it's like what do you mean you don't feel sexual attraction well it's like how you know if you see someone that you're not like attracted to physically it's like that's how I feel for everyone I still feel like the other types of attraction like romantic platonic aesthetic sensual, all those things. It's just like this one aspect is like, it just doesn't click for me. And it hasn't. Um, a lot of people kind of said, oh, you're just a late boomer, but I'm 21 now. Um, if something was going to happen, I feel like it was going to happen by now. So um, I just, that's, that's kind of what it means to me. It's like a very, just, I don't feel that physical aspect. Um, and it's a conversation I had to have with my girlfriend up front because uh, she's not asexual. Um, so it was something we had to navigate together because um, before I, before we met, I hadn't dated anyone in a long time. Um, I discovered my sexuality back in high school and I had a boyfriend at the time and I told him and he broke up with me like two weeks later. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's fine now, but it's just like, that was like something I was very afraid of for a long time, kind of navigating my sexuality and relationships. Um, but now it's just like, I don't feel this attraction and I shouldn't be pressured to. And like, I get that from my girlfriend and the community that I've built around me, so. Oh, oh, oh. I love that. So, you know, I'm going to ask you about lesbian so tell me what that means for you <laughs> for me it's just like attraction to women and non-men um so that kind of opens up the gender spectrum a lot but um like I've I like developed this identity around a bunch of other non-binary lesbians so it's just kind of this idea that you don't have to be a woman to be someone I want to date no, um, but also I 
don't want to date men. Like, no offense to them. I mean, I know plenty of great men, but I just don't want to date them. Um, and I also think it kind of is just something that is very liberating to say. Um, because for a long time, I just had to, I assumed that, oh, like, men, got to date them, got to marry one. Um, just I'll just pick one out of the millions and billions and <laughs> hope it works out. <laughs> but um, when I discovered that I don't, like, have to, I was like, oh, there, I can, I can date women and, like, not men? Oh, it's over. It's over for those guys. Oh my so God. I, <laughs> you, sound a, you sound a lot like my 10-year-old daughter. I mean, once she figured out, wait, I don't have to marry a boy or I don't have to get married at all. It was just the world opened up for her. So <laughs> that is so amazing. Yeah, like I've always had this like independent spirit. I never wanted to be like tethered to anything. I remember I was like five years old and I was like crying to my mom because I was like, mom, I don't want to give up my last name when I get married. And I thought it was like a law. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have to find someone with Bryant as their last name if I don't want to give up my name. And she was like, oh, no, you don't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I've always had I've always had this like very independent spirit. I've always never I've never really understood gender roles, sexuality roles. I've never understood why those things exist. And so when I realized like I don't have to follow them because they're not real, like not like it's all a social construct. Then I was, I just felt so free as a person, as a spirit, as a mind. It was just, it was, it was, and every day that I realized I don't have to follow a certain rule um, because it's all made up. I just, it just is so liberating. Like I ate a cookie this morning because I can, because cookies are nice and <laughs> breakfast food is arbitrary. So I'm going to eat a cookie before I have this bagel and yogurt and that's fine. Yes. <laughs> that is the best way of thinking about things, right? Yeah. I mean, Everything's arbitrary. It's all, do what it, makes it, you happy. Do what makes you happy. I like that. Uh, and, and I guess within that realm of, you know, doing what makes you happy, you say part of being, being non-binary is rejecting um, white cultural norms. Do you ever feel any pressure to fit in with, say, Black cultural norms? And does that ever yeah. conflict with your with your identity? Yeah, I definitely do. Because, like, I it's not like I come from a family that's completely traditional. Um, but at the same time, like, every Black family is, is does have this, like, traditional aspect to it. There is this, like, okay, you're going to have to fit into this box eventually. Like, when you're young, you can kind of be quite wild and crazy, but eventually... You have to fit into a box. You're going to settle down. You're going to have to get a job, get married, buy a house, all those things. And I'm always questioning that because I'm like, well, what if I don't want to do that? Like, you know, I don't want to make a whole bunch of money. I want to be a professor and inspire generations of Black activists. And my dad will be like, okay, but how are you going to make money? And I'm like, I mean, that's not all there is to life. And it's, it's sometimes it's sometimes it's hard to you know relate to my family and to explain my feelings about things. Um, I have the fight about changing my last name with one of my uncles, like almost every single time I see him. Um, but he's still my favorite uncle. Like you know, he's just his mind is so stuck in this one way that he can't see the other possibilities. And that's what I'm always trying to get my family to do is like see the possibilities. Um, and kind of like untether their minds from the societal norms that we've been taught. But it is kind of hard the older you get. And so I kind of just let it be. And I just know that I'm going to have to live my life the way I want to, because I mean, I have to, I'm me forever. So like, I can't live for other people. I have to live for myself. And so I've, I like, when I'm around certain people, I placate them. And I kind of show them the person that they want to see. And then as soon as I walk away from them, I'm immediately myself again. Because, you know, at a certain point, you really can't change people if they don't want to be changed. So I kind of let people be. And just, you know, if you want to have this mindset, go ahead. Um, but I'm going to be myself no matter what. Because 
I can't live not being myself. So on that same note, um, I know you filled out our little pre-interview questions, but what pronouns do you use? Oh, I, uh, I use they, them, and she, her. And knowing that you're using they, them pronouns, um, do you placate to them as well, depending on who you're talking to? And what has been your experience using they, them pronouns in the South? Well, part of the reason my pronouns are they, them, and she, her is because, like, I know there are certain people who are never, ever, ever going to use they, them pronouns for me. Like, I just know, I know that off the bat because, like, being from the South, living in the South, they're just people who are never going to do that. Um, and just anywhere in general. So, like, I'm taking that power from them. Like, oh, you're going to try to misgender me? Psych, you can't because guess what? My pronouns are they, them, and she, her. But when I'm in queer places, um, like, I try to emphasize the they, them part because, like, that's, those are the pronouns that I like the best. I don't really feel like any of the pronouns fit me great because language is just limiting, but I have learned to live with it. And so, like, I tell people, you know, I prefer they, them, but you can also use she, her. I'm not going to, like, you know, murder you or anything if you use she, her, but, you know, it, I, when I say they, them, she, her, it's order of preference. And so mostly the she, her is for, like, people who are not going to be a part of yeah, or who are going to be inflexible about using they, them. <laughs> yeah. That's very flexible of you, though, and very open about it as well. Oh, oh, oh. So we would love to hear more about your senior and political science major. I mean, how's how's it going? What's going to happen this fall? Um, you know, tell us more. Well, um, Howard just recently, just recently, it was Friday that they told us that we're not coming to campus at all. Like they have made us convert completely virtual. Previous to that, they were telling us, oh, 80% of classes will be online. A certain amount of students will be able to come back to campus. Uh, students who have uh, classes that have to be in person, like uh, nursing students who need to do their clinical hours to be certified, they can go back. And then Friday, they were like, actually, no, everyone stay home. And so that was very strange. I mean, all my classes were online anyway, because uh, as a political science major, I don't really have anything that's hands-on. Mostly it's just reading and writing papers and discussing things. Um, I was a political science major. That's about all we do. We read a lot, we write a lot, and we talk a lot. Yeah, exactly. So I wasn't really worried about that. but it's just kind of sad for everyone who like doesn't live in DC, can't afford to live in DC, and really need to come back to campus for their own um, mental health and their own physical safety. But for me personally, like I'm, I'm just gonna be here. I have my desk set up in the corner of my room. Um, my roommate um, is a law student who's taking all their classes online, and I'm just gonna be here. I, I bought a bike, so I might like ride down to campus um, a few times to just kind of sit on the yard and still breathe in the Howard air. But I mean, it's mostly just going to (laughs) be me in this apartment with my dog and taking my classes via Zoom or Blackboard or whatever platform they use. Um, Just announced last Friday. So prior to that, were you thinking you were going to be on campus? Um, I didn't think that any of my classes would be physically on campus just because um, I'm on the upper division um, political science courses. And actually, this semester, I'll finish with my major courses. And so I just have a few general education classes that I need to finish. Um, The ones you've been putting off? (laughs) The ones you've been putting off to the end? Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I have to take like two science classes. Uh, health and swimming and that's it after this so I'm kind of just I was saving them to the end because I didn't really want to do them <laughs> and I'm still trying to find a way to get out of the swimming requirement um but I was just I was never like thinking that I was going to physically be on campus but it was still kind of hurtful because now I know I'm not going to see 98% of my friends because most people can't 
just afford to move to DC. Um, like I saved up for six months to move into this apartment and I'm still in debt. So I know that like my friends who don't really have like good jobs won't be able to do this. Um, and the only reason I can afford this apartment is because of my roommate. And this is 750 square feet, it's expensive. Um, so I just feel sad for those who can't like come back and those who really need to come back for their mental health and their well-being. Like I have friends who are just not in affirming households who are taking this really hard um, because now we're completely virtual, just like all the other universities, but they waited until like the last minute. Oh, oh, oh. Freshman move-in is like, was supposed to be this week. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's happening everywhere on multiple levels, not just on the college level. Um, My partner is a band director for a high school and we've been going back and forth on whether or not they're going to go in person or be teaching virtual and teaching band over Zoom is not the same. (laughs) So I can imagine, I mean, the, the whiplash that people are getting from going back and forth, it must be so intense. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. Like every single time I open up my university email, I just feel like something new is going to happen because you never know. Like they're not really communicating with us, but they're congratulating themselves on doing such a good job. Like in the email that they sent, they were like, well, our reopening team, they did everything they could and we did amazing and we're so great and we're trying to be so um, careful with this. Um, So actually you guys need to stay home. And it was just like a couple of days ago, they were congratulating themselves about getting the reopening plan. Up. So I'm just, I'm just confused and a little hurt, especially since what I'm gathering is a lot of people who are on the lower end of administration didn't have a say in that process. They were finding out at the same time as us, which is horrible because if I'm working somewhere, I shouldn't have to find out about something that's going to affect me at the same time as everyone else. About it. <laughs> I know I'm teaching virtually for my community college. We've been, we were, we're, I'm teaching at home, but we found out back in June or July. So I've had time to prepare. I can't imagine it being August and you're yeah. trying to get ready for classes, whether as a faculty member or a student, and then everything changes at the last minute. That's got to be insane. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's been ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't going to be a great situation anyway. Like, even if we were on campus and you lived on campus, they said, like, you can't have any visitors in your dorm ever at all. Like, not even people who live on the same hall as you. They were doing single occupancy, which is unheard of at Howard. Um, So it was going to be, like, completely different, but it was still something. And now it's just nothing. True. I mean, I guess kind of related to that because and I was thinking this, I know that you lead a lot of LGBTQ student organizations at Howard. I know you are very involved in the student organizations. I mean, what is the community like there? I mean, before COVID or even now, uh, how do you build that kind of community? Well, with with us, like um, Howard has had an LGBTQ organization, a student organization. Oh, wow. I'm the president of Cascade, uh, which is the latest iteration of it. The first LGBTQ organization at any HBCU was founded back in the 70s. And so we celebrated our 40th year last year. And we have like, we have a very close community. There, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of us, but we do have a very close community. Like we say all the gays know each other because we kind of do, like at least by proxy. And so it's been hard for a lot of people. We have our group chats. We're on Twitter, you know, talking to each other and like, you know, hyping each other up when we post selfies and things. But like, it's still hard to have that same level of community virtually. Normally, we have the Cascade office, which is an office in the Blackburn University Center, which is kind of like our student center. And 
it's kind of like a hub for people. I spent most of my time there. Um, if I wasn't in class, I was in the Cascade office. If I wasn't in my dorm, I was in the Cascade office. Oh, oh, oh. We, like, it's not a big office. It's a pretty small space. But at the same time, like, we'll have 20, 25 people in there once. Because it's just like, it's fun. It's, we, we talk about everything gets loud, we play music, we we just know each other. So we have that community. Um, and people just kind of roam in and out throughout the day, but they know that that is, the, that is like the one spot on campus that is like specifically for us. It's gonna be really difficult to kind of cultivate a community when we don't have that physical space. Sure, and you said it was called Cascade? Yes, it stands for the Coalition of Activist Students Celebrating the Acceptance of Diversity and Equality. Yeah, talk about, um, I feel like you have to get really creative outside of your normal box because it, it's not the same having lunch over Zoom or, yeah. you know, talking over Messenger, but at the same time, you're kind of forced to do these virtual meetups now and Sometimes I'm really excited about them and sometimes I feel like really lonely in my room and I'm like, oh, I just want yeah. to physically hold someone, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we we are all super close. Like we hug each other. We love each other. We like, you know, because we don't have that much seating. It's a tiny office and there are 25 people in there. One sometimes like people are literally sitting on top of each other because we're just that comfortable. And so it's very strange like to be in this space where you can't touch anyone. And you can't get close to anyone. But we have a few events planned for freshman week. We call it Bison Week. Um, and it's not going to be the same because traditionally we have um, like our Queer and Howard panel. We talk about like, what is it like to be queer and out at Howard? Um, what is it like to, what is it like to be like in this Black space and also have your identity in the out and the open? We talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and then we have a trivia event. Sometimes we do like a movie night and then we cap it all off with what we call the gay tour. And we take uh, first year students around to like the gay spots near campus. Um, there are a couple gay bars. They can't get in, but you know, when they turn 21, they can. Um, there's the gay like, pizza you place. En- you entice um, them? You say, here's a space <laughs> that you can't go to, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes it's nice to know it's there. It's, it's, it's here. <laughs> we take them to, um, yeah, <laughs> we take them to the Human Rights Campaign, Whitman Walker Health, um, and the DC LGBTQ Youth Center. It's going to be very sad to not be able to do that. Like the fresh, like the gay tour is really, honestly, it's the pinnacle of that week, and it's where I met a lot of my friends initially. Like we have this picture of all of us outside of the Human Rights campaign office and I go back and look at that picture and I'm like oh my god like I didn't even realize all these people were on this tour but I'm friends with every single one of them now and so it's going to be really hard for the freshmen to create this community without having those events because for a lot of students like college is the first time you get to be yourself like Mm -hmm. fully and you get to you get to find yourself which is so cliche but true and I don't know how we're gonna create that space with students being at home and not being able to really like let go but we're working on it um we're trying to partner with some other organizations that like aren't specifically lgbtq focused so it can be a little like covert um but it's still going to be a little difficult and okay so we try to ask everybody this guest uh, every guest this question but i don't think we've asked you can you tell us a little bit more about your coming out story? Yeah, um, it's funny. My coming out story is like, I think it's funny, but it really isn't. So like many a young gay, I was on Tumblr. And um, like all these different terms kept coming up. I was just on Tumblr for the memes. Honestly, I was just there because I liked <laughs> Doctor Who and Supernatural. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was watching Sherlock at the time and I was just I wanted to be there for the memes and then people were talking about like sexuality and gender and I was like what is this like 
did y'all make these things up? Because this don't sound right. And I was just like, I just ignored it for a while. Like I was on Tumblr for like maybe a year before I really started taking the gender and sexuality stuff seriously. And then I remember it so clearly, Christmas Eve of 2014, I was scrolling as I do and I came across sexuality and I read the description and I had a boyfriend at the time. So I was like, I, I thought I was straight, which was so, I was so woefully wrong. And <laughs> I read the description and I was like, huh, this kind of describes me. And so I started Googling some stuff and just like reading things, kind of seeing what was going on. Um, and my sister and I have this tradition where she sleeps in my room on Christmas Eve because she likes to wake up super early on Christmas Day. By the way, my younger sister is 18, um, <laughs> but she's like there, she's a Christmas nut. Um, and I was like trying to be quiet because she was sleeping. And I was like, oh my God, this like really describes me. And so like, I was like, okay, wow, Christmas Eve, like this is the moment I realized that I was asexual. I said that in my head to myself. And then like a few days later, I told my parents, because I was just so excited. And I was like, oh my God, I found this label that like accurately describes me. And I told my mom and my mom was like, what? Like we were watching a movie and my mom was like, what? And my dad was like, huh? Like, do you even know what that means? And I was like, yeah, I know what it means. Like I looked it up like, and my dad was, and I tried, I started explaining it to them and they were like, oh no, we know what it means. Um, you're just a late bloomer. Like, don't worry about that. And so I was like, I'm 15. Like if something was going to happen, shouldn't it have happened by now? Because... Like we're we we're an open family. Like my parents had like had had the talk with me many many times before that, and so I was like, no, it, like if something was gonna happen, it would have happened by now. Like I would have felt some sexual inklings, and they were like, oh no, you're just a late bloomer. And so I was like, okay, whatever, mom, it's not a phase. And so I just kind of went along, like, okay, I'm asexual, yay, and then. I started like getting on the like forums on AVEN and the Asexuality Visibility Network. Um, and then I was like reading about people's experiences um, with gender. And I was like, huh, gender, it's fake. Like it took me about a year to kind of like develop my thoughts around gender. And so around the time I was like about a month before I was 16, um, I really started thinking like, okay, gender, this isn't real. Like maybe I'm like gender queer or non-binary. And I started kind of developing that. And I, um, my junior year of high school, um, I was in orchestra, I played the violin. Uh, we went on this trip to Tampa um, for a competition. Um, and there was one of our lead cellists, um, their name at the time is Jeremy and now they go by Naomi. I don't remember, I don't know what their pronouns are right now, but at the time their pronouns were he, him. And um, at the time, like we all thought that they were a binary trans person, um, a binary trans person. And so like we were, we were talking on the bus um, all the way to Tampa about just like everything and like how they were just, how their experiences with gender and their family and um, like choosing a name and all those things. And I was just like very much curious about like their whole process. And so um, my friends thought I had a crush on them, um, but I really didn't. I was just like very curious <laughs> because I was like, like, I feel this, I feel this like disconnection with her and I didn't know how to explain it. And at the end of that trip, I came out to my friend group um, and I told them that I was non-binary because I, I like, like they, like this person really inspired me um, to come out and just like to be my full self. And like when we got back from um, the trip, like they embraced me, like my friend group embraced me and they were like, you know, this is great. Like <laughs> all my friends from high school turned it out, turned out to be gay, which is really funny because when we met, we were all straight. Um, but we, like, they really embraced me and it just was very affirming. Um, and I still haven't told my parents, um, 
Like, I think they might know by now because of just all the stuff they, they might see on my Twitter. Um, but I just haven't told them because it's still taking them such a long time to understand asexuality. Like, there was an article in the New York Times, I think it was, in October maybe, about asexuality. And my parents read it. And my dad called me and was like, oh, wow, I understand now. Like, this article really helped me understand what you, like, your experience. And I was like, finally. Like, I mean, it, it only took you five years, but thank you. Oh, oh, oh. And, but I, like, a part of me was still, like, very nervous about telling them about the rest of me. And so when I, when I started dating my girlfriend in September, I didn't tell them. I didn't tell anybody in my family except for my sister because I was like, how do I tell my parents that I'm dating a girl? Like, I mean, I know they won't, I, I'm, I was like, logically, I knew they wouldn't be surprised because I'm the president of Cascade. I do all the gay things. I am like the gay Howard student at this point. So <laughs> I've like, they knew that, like they knew all of that. Like I, I, I flew home to go to Pride I feel like they should have known. Like I had a huge pride flag in my room. I mean, I have a bunch of pride flags like on my desk. I have a bunch on my desk right now. Like, like yes. um, <laughs> so I was just like, I think they'll I think they'll understand, but I also didn't want to like have to explain to them the asexuality piece with having a girlfriend. And so I just didn't tell them. And then I was talking to my sister and she was like, just tell them, it's not gonna be a big deal. Like they'll be fine. And I was like, I mean, I'll just tell them when I come home for Thanksgiving. And I was planning on coming home um, early because my parents' anniversary is right before Thanksgiving. Their anniversary is November 21st. And so I was going to buy them dinner at a really nice place and tell them. Um, and I was going to tell them in public so their reaction would be measured. And then <laughs> one day, <laughs> one day I was just on the phone with my sister. Um, and I was just like, you know what? bring the phone to mom and dad. I'm going to tell them right now. Cause I was just, I don't know. I think I had like two glasses of wine <laughs> and I was feeling feisty. Um, and so I told them and I was like, mom, dad. Um, so in September, I went on a date with this person and it was really great. I had a really great time and we've been dating since then. Um, and her name is Dari and she is my girlfriend. And my parents were like, what? Like, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell us earlier? Like, why didn't you tell us about the first date? Like, my, like they were more upset about, like, me not telling them about the first date and all the, like, all of the butterflies and experiences than yeah. the fact that I was gay. And, like, I remember it so clearly. My dad took my, my sister's phone and he went into another room and he was like, Imani, I love you no matter what. Like, you're my daughter. I love you no matter what. You could literally never do anything to make me stop loving you. And I was, I like, I started crying because I was like, I, I mean, I know this logically. I'm about to cry right now. I know this cry. logically. <laughs> I'm trying I know to cry. Logically. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I know logically that like my parents are gonna love me no matter what because like that's just the kind of people they are but at the same time it was like very affirming to just hear it out loud like my dad telling me like there's nothing that I could ever do that would make him stop loving me and it's just like it like really just uh it because it, I'm I'm like a daddy's girl you know I my dad and I watch Star Wars together and we talk about everything so it was just like very much um it was it was a it was I can't even I don't have the words to describe it like it's just so affirming and wonderful and my mom was like so tell me about the first date like tell me about your first kiss like tell me everything I want to know everything and I was just like like that was that day was just so great because I was like oh my god like my parents like I I knew that I knew in the back of my mind that they would always love me but just like knowing that like they would be accepting of this part of me was just so great because I was like there was always a small part of me that was scared that they were gonna they, they weren't gonna be affirming. Oh, oh, oh. 
I'm I'm a little upset because I was I was really excited to go to Atlanta Pride this year. Like I'm 21 finally, so I can get into all the clubs. And I was gonna go to my sister's room, you know, the oldest LGBT lesbian bar in the southeast with my girlfriend. And we had a great time. <laughs> yeah, like I've never been in a bar, but pandemic. I think this is the third episode in a row someone has brought up my sister's room. I'm sorry, I'm a fan. <laughs> I think it's the third episode where someone has mentioned that bar. I've got to get to Atlanta and check this. Oh, oh, oh. So, yeah, I was really sad that it's going to be virtual this year. I mean, it's probably for the best because, I mean, Georgia is still kind of a hot spot, but it's Atlanta Pride really is like Atlanta in general. Like, I, I know I'm from Atlanta, but it's like, it's the best city in the world to me. Um, I haven't traveled much, but where I have gone, there's no place like it. And I have like a, I have a, a loyalty to the city. Like I actually want to move back there um, after I graduate because it's just, it's home. Like it's comfortable. It's, it's great. Like there's no place like it. Oh, oh, oh. I want to know what you do for fun. How does Washington, D.C. compare to Atlanta? I mean, what what is your life like outside of school? I mean, it is mostly school. <laughs> but I, um, for fun, like, I mostly just, like, cook for my friends. And we have wine and have a good meal. And we talk and we joke around. And we play Cards Against, cards against Humanity because... It's always fun to play cards against humanity with gay people. It's just, it, it's, there's no other experience like it. Um, and especially gay people who are political science majors, it just, it's a whole other level. Um, and I crochet. I gotta ask. Yes, I <laughs> actually really want that. I ha- have a friend who has it and I want it so bad. But. What is this? What is it? So um, Cards Against Humanity, uh, I used to play it a lot with my fr- uh, friends back in Atlanta. We would have um, queer potlucks or queer dinners once a month, and it was our thing. We would all trade houses and um, share food and wine and drinks, and we would all play Cards Against Humanity um, or other you know, board games, but Cards Against Humanity was particularly fun and rowdy, I might add. Yes, that game gets wild, yes. And I discovered that they had pride packs because what we ended up doing is we kept um, getting sticky oh. notes and sticking them on top of the um, regular cards because they were too straight. <laughs> and we wanted more um, queer, I don't know, add-ons to everything. So... I should probably bring it and I'll maybe I'll take a picture for it. But I um have, I have uh, not heard of those cards against humanity yeah. just covered in little sticky notes because they're all queer sticky notes on top of it. Um, but the pride uh, pack really helped my um need with cards against humanity, and uh, they come in a little yeah. rainbow pack and they're special edition, and they brought me a lot of joy to add them into my little collection. I've never <laughs> heard of these pride pack extend expansions. That's amazing. Yeah, and I really want one. Um, but that's mostly what I do with my friends, like because because a lot of us are just like not club goers, like a lot of us are homebodies. Um, we just I I like cooking for my friends. And I like having a good glass of wine and just having good conversation. Like that's that's my ideal evening. What we're getting from this is that you're just awesome all around. (laughs) And if we had another hour, we would talk about Doctor Who and Star Wars for a whole hour. Oh God, we'll bring you back in for. We'll bring you back in for an episode on queer sci-fi, I think. Oh, I would love that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll bring you back for that that. episode. So, so, Tara, just wrap up, because we want to be respectful of your time. I want to know, what does being queer in the South mean to you? That's a big one. Um, For me, it's like being a part of this tradition and this group of people that has survived. like there's no for me there's no separating my queerness from my blackness and so it's literally like just survival and then not just surviving but thriving in a place that is often 
very dangerous and very unfriendly. And so it's just, it's, it's dangerous, but also very rewarding because the South gives you like a flavor that no one else has. Um, you know, a lot of my friends from the North or from the Midwest don't have the wit and the sarcasm that I do. And I feel like they're missing that. And you don't get the culture that the South has. And it's just being Southern is a blessing. You know, we have good food and we have like some of the like best places. Like I love New Orleans, love Atlanta. You know, I've never been to Texas, but I've heard it's amazing. And so, you know, being Southern is great. And then on top of that, I get to be Black and queer. Oh, I'm living large. I get all the fun parts of life, like, you know, best sense of humor, best culture, best music, uh, best food. I get all of that. And I am blessed to have interesting people in my life that will always love me for who I am. And that's really all I survive, just interesting people and love and support. Uh, That is so amazing. Uh, Thank you for spending your time with us. Thank you for giving us an hour out of your very busy day. I know as a student, as an activist, as just an individual, you are so busy. So we just, we're so appreciative of you being on the show, Imani. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was really exciting. To keep up with Imani, you can find them on Twitter at Imani underscore B123. And that's I-M-A-N-I underscore B123. You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two E's. Until next time, thanks for listening. Some credits. Production, your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Holly. Story research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastian. This is Southern Queries.